Listener beware. The following is a cautionary tale of two friends venturing into a world of magic and monsters, haunted houses, weeping cryptids, fairy food trucks, and other absurdities. This is Spokelore. for like a while uh been dealing with general island connectivity issues but also to be honest i really haven't had it in me to leave the house for the past few days i'm just feeling a little depleted uh sorry this might be kind of a depressing message as a heads up to be honest i guess i feel pretty lonely without linnea in the house with me you know i I remember I was driving here for the first time, making that crossing on the ferry, and I never told you this, but I felt this fear building up because I kept imagining the moment when I would be sitting down for my first dinner in the house and knew that I would feel sort of confronted by the solitude of living here, you know? I I could picture myself hearing the house's creaks and moans and the wind outside, and I was imagining how I'd start reflecting on all the decisions that had brought me to the point of being totally isolated and living on the margins of society, and I would start to feel like a failure or regret how impulsively I bought this place, and anyway, that moment didn't really materialize because I didn't feel alone. I I had Linnea both as a presence and as a mystery to solve, and now that she's out there, back in the elements where she belongs, I'm so happy for her, but in all honesty, I've been having that overwhelming solitude moment a lot. And not just at the dining table. I have it when I'm brushing my hair or washing dishes or getting in bed to go to sleep. It's like this oppressive aloneness. Maybe it's more intense because it's so belated. I don't know. Anyway, I don't say any of this to urge you to get here sooner. Just to be clear, I don't need saving. This is my experience to process and my work to do, but I thought voicing it aloud would help me feel more seen in it. Yeah, in a weird way, it feels like the house is sort of weighing me down. It's probably just the stupid migraine that's been coming on over the past couple of days. Yesterday, I literally had to lock myself in a dark room and cover the window with blankets to block out the light and the sound of the waves crashing because I just started feeling like they were literally crashing inside my head. And then my knee injury has started really acting up again out of the blue. It woke me up last night. It hurt so much. So anyway, I'm just going to try to take it easy for the next few days. I promise I'll be more cheerful when I try you again tomorrow. But here's the really weird thing. Even though I feel physically pretty terrible, uh, the good news is that I've started writing again. I know, who to thunk? I mean, usually when I'm physically under-resourced is when I'm least likely to be creative, but Nikki, it's amazing. It's just pouring out of me. Remember that older white lady in our writing residency who kept talking about how she was channeling her book with this excess gravitas that very clearly implied moral superiority over us? And how much we secretly mocked her for that? Well, I swear to God, that's exactly how this feels. Not to be smug, 
but at this rate, I think my manuscript could be done at the end of the month, which is about three years faster than anything else I've ever written. I, I just can't wait for you to read it. I actually don't know if I could wait until you're here. I might need to send you some pages sooner. I don't know, maybe Squawk could read them aloud to you. And, miracle of miracles, I found a way to get my messages to you from the house. It seems like the weather gods have deigned to give me a cell signal, so I'm hoping it holds up long enough for me to be able to send you more messages. Okay, talk soon. Well, thank God, and it's about time, and don't you ever go MIA like that ever again. Or so help me, I will quote Mr. Collins at you when you're trying to write something profound. I'm really, really sorry to hear about your knee, though. I thought being all sea witch would, I don't know, serve as some sort of cure-all. Are there any tonics for chronic pain lying around in Linnea's cave? I'm not surprised you're feeling low, love. Being in constant, immobilizing pain will definitely do that. Don't be too hard on yourself. Just rest up and give your body what it needs. I hear you about the loneliness. Honestly, I'm kind of over this road trip at this point. I can't wait to get there. We'll get cozy with tea and whiskey and finger sandwiches and cover ourselves from head to toe in knitwear. God, that sounds nice. <laughs> but unfortunately, I've had yet another delay. You know how Bartleby was being weird? Well, he just decided he would prefer not to, you know, move at all, and plunked right down on the side of the highway in, where the hell am I, uh, Greeley, Colorado. It's, uh, well, it's farm country. There are mooses, and it smells a tad manure-ish. So yeah, I wasn't best pleased with Bartleby just then. I had to call a mechanic and get towed and everything. And then Bartleby was so rude to the perfectly nice mechanic. Like, he let Squonk and me ride in his truck, which, given Squonk's external appearance, is really quite kind of him. And, well, I've been living in a food truck, so I'm not at my hottest either these days. And, you know, the mechanic was nice. He had these nice forearms and some overlong blonde hair, but not like he was growing it out, more like he was too masculine to be bothered with cutting it. And he had these jeans that hang all loose and that hip slingy, bet you got those hip muscles under there, sir. Oh, did you know that those muscles are legit called an Adonis belt? Way to hit the proverbial nail on the head there, anatomists. <laughs> yeah, so um, I totally objectified my mechanic. And like I said, Bartleby was awful to him. We pulled up at his garage and Sam, that's the mechanic, was poking around the engine and stuff and Bartleby just slammed the hood right down on his fingers. I was so embarrassed, and I snapped at Bartleby like I was a mom snapping at a toddler in a grocery store, which obviously was even more embarrassing, because, hello, talking to modes of transportation is not a particularly sane thing to do. But then Sam gave this really sweet smile and said that he talks to his cars all the time, and he patted Bartleby kindly. And so, of course, Bartleby sent a screw pinging at his forehead. It really was quite appalling. And Bartleby just wouldn't knock it off, and finally I felt so bad about it that I took Sam across the street to a diner to buy him a beer. A perfectly friendly and appropriate apology-slash-gratitude beer. And Sam is, as aforementioned, very charming. And yeah, so obviously that's when Squonk came wandering into the diner, leading Neil like a guide dog. Oh, ah, men are dumb. 
Neil and I are not dating. There has been no dating of any kind. There's been no indication of potential dating, which didn't stop him looking all hurt and pissy and then coming and being all manly and shaking hands with Sam, who, well, he's a mechanic, okay? And Neil is a folklorist. The outcome of the handshaking war was very much predestined by fate. And then, to make matters worse, we, all three of us, well, four of us, including Squonk, trooped on back to Sam's garage, wherein Bartleby opened up like a coy little flower for Neil, practically put on a little French maid outfit for him. Anyway, I don't understand the inner workings of men or vehicles, but between Sam and Neil, Bartleby is running again, which is all I care about. And then, I think to make up for being so dumb and territorial, Neil bought me dinner at the diner, pointedly not inviting Sam, But by then, Sam had very much backed off from anything that might remotely be interpreted as flirtatious, which, again, not dating Neil, but whatever, I was hungry. And, well, I'm not saying this to make you feel bad or anything, but we ended up talking about you and how, well, how worried I am about you. Because I am, you know, something is not right with you. And I know it, and I'm supposed to be coming to help you, and no matter what I do, something seems to be stopping me, and yeah, it's usually kind of hilarious and hijinky, but, well, the result is that you need me, and I'm not there, and I hate that. Anyway, I started crying, and Neil was trying to make me feel better, and so over our chicken-fried steak benedicts, I was telling him about you, and about your house, and Linnea, and her creepy murdered husband, and it was really nice. I really like him, Annie. He's funny and kind and interesting, and he listens to me. And I could tell that he also cares about what's happening to you. But then I told him about the shell you found, the vessel, and all of a sudden Neil got, like, really pale. He asked me to describe it, which, like, I don't know, it's a Nautilus thing? I haven't seen it. But Annie, he recognized it. When I told him how you described it to me, he got all quiet and stood up without warning, muttered that he had to go check something threw some cash on the table, and ran out. And now his car is gone, and as far as I can tell, he's left town. Again. (sighs) Yeah. So that's that. Whatever. I'm not hurt. Not offended. Nope. Not even a tiny bit. Not even at all. What are men to rocks and mountains anyway? Am I right? Hey, um, good morning, or evening? I I honestly have no idea. I've just been up all night and all day, and I can see a vague light around the horizon, but I can't really tell whether it's getting brighter or darker. Uh, this day is so gray. I, I literally can't even remember the last time I ate or slept. Which sounds bad, I know, but Nikki, none of that matters, because guess what? I finished my book! It's all done. I can't believe it. Um, but before I go into that, those are some hijinks indeed, Missy. I feel like half of the Midwest is going to have fallen in love with you before this trip is over. You're just going to have to leave a continent of bewitched and lovelorn supplicants in your wake. But flirtatious mechanics aside, uh, well, maybe you'll need to illustrate this Adonis belt you described in a lot of detail because, um, I'm just having a really hard time picturing it. But it sounds like Bartleby and Squonk have very firmly landed in the Neil camp, and I can't say as I blame them. He sounds 
very sweet and devoted and not in like a weird stalkery way, but he seems to really care about you and what you care about. I don't know, if I were you, I'd cut him a little slack. Although, that is super weird about him knowing about the shell in Linnea's spellbook. You know, I wonder if it has some mythical origins or something. Next time you see him, can you ask him to clarify some points for me? Because I gotta say, even with Linnea out busy doing whatever she's up to, I'm starting to get the distinct impression that once again, I am not alone in this house. There is something else here but I don't know if it's a who or a what. So if there are other ghosts or witchy spirits I need to negotiate with, I'd like to be better prepared this time. But uh, all that aside, it does feel really amazing for my book to be done. Like, I was working on it for three years, making minimal progress, and then I move here and boom, finito. It all came together like magic. But, uh... I think I may have pushed myself a little too hard, if I'm being completely honest. I just feel totally wasted. Like, there was this wild creativity unleashed pushing itself through me, and now that it's gone, I have nothing left but all these aches and pains to deal with, which feel even louder than before. My knee is absolutely throbbing, my migraine is pounding, and all of my joints feel like they're made of glass. I, I swear, I think I've aged about 50 years since I came here. Ugh, even the idea of climbing the stairs to go to bed feels too exhausting to consider, but I do feel like I probably need to sleep for at least the next 12 hours or so. I may just lay me down on the sofa and try to nap for a bit. Um, but before I doze off, I'm going to send you the finished draft of my manuscript. Assuming the weather gods permit, I'm so excited for you to read it and tell me what you think. Not to bias you, but I really do think it might be the best thing I've ever written. Possibly that anyone's ever written. No, not really, but you know, it might be pretty good. I'm, I'm so proud of myself. Okay, just sent. Hope you like it and have somewhere nice to cozy up when you read. Good morning or good night. your message and I am beyond excited to read your book. I can't believe you finished it already. That is wild. I can't wait to read this great American masterpiece and I will absolutely do so as soon as I am capable of brain thoughts. Yes, I am sorry to report that my brain is currently broken, all the blood having detoured to um, other parts of my body and well, it has been quite some time since those parts were being attended to so very solicitously and with such enthusiasm and I'm just saying they deserve the attention and your manuscript needs to wait just a teensy bit longer. Bartleby was just as pissed as I was that Neil left. He sped off as soon as I climbed in and drove at speeds I never would have attempted. And then he stopped somewhere in the mountains outside Park City, Utah, where it immediately started snowing. I'm sure I needn't remind you that it's July. Honestly, I think Bartleby had lost patience with me and Neil and put together a little stuck-in-a-snowstorm rom-com trope situation, which, yeah, high-handed and cliché, but I'm really not complaining. 
because yes, who could possibly be driving up to help the poor stranded lady with her cryptid and Machiavellian food truck but Neil the Wandering Folklorist? Mind you, at the time, I would rather have frozen to death than accept help from the guy who had ditched me mid-sort of date. But he stopped me mid-rant by doing the kissing things guys do in movies where they just swoop in all suddenly and grab your face. The thing that would be awful if you weren't into it, but it turns out it's actually pretty freaking great if you are. And he started to tell me that he could explain everything, but then there was more kissing, and come to think of it, I don't think we ever got to the explaining part because, you know, we had to keep warm due to the aforementioned snowstorm. I'm so happy, Annie. He's asleep now, and Squonk is snuggled up next to him, and the storm is dying down. I'm pretty wired. You know how I always get energized after. So I'm just going to download your manuscript and start my read right after I sit here and bask for just a few more minutes. Annie? Annie, pick up the phone. Christ, you're still not picking up. Annie, when you get this, if you get this, I mean, if you're the one that gets this, I am on my way. Really, this time. But in the meantime, you have to listen to me because something is really wrong. I read your manuscript and, Annie, that's not you. That's not your novel. That's not anybody's novel. It's, it's creepy and angry and wrong. Here, you listen to it read back and you'll see. I have found it. After all my years of searching, I have found it. Unfortunately, it grows in the territory of one of those creatures, those cursed abominations of nature. But as it happens, it is pretty enough for a monstrous, so lonely and trusting. I've married her. It's likely soiled my soul to do so, but it does have its benefits. And apart from the comforts of the marriage bed, I now have access. And as she trusts me completely, such disgusting naivete has its uses, she is giving it all to me, all of her hexes and charms and other foul magics. I will find what I need soon enough. It's not here. That witch, that she-devil, she has hidden it from me. But I will have it, if I have to cut her throat to get it. You see? That's not you. There is no way you wrote that, Annie. And it's all like that. On and on and on. It's him. The sea captain, Linnea's dead husband. And I have to tell you, I am extremely fine with however it was he died. No jury would convict. But I think... I think whatever hold he had on Linnea, it's somehow over you too now. And whatever it was he was looking for, Neil has an idea. He clearly doesn't have it yet and still wants it. Neil thinks it's your shell. In fact, that's why Neil ran off the other night at the diner, because he realized what might be going on. See, it's been driving him crazy trying to figure out why Bartleby has me collecting all this stuff. This whole time, I knew it felt like there was some kind of method to the madness of Bartleby's antics, making us drive in all these zigzags across the country, but now we're pretty sure we know why. I know this sounds crazy, but honestly, at this point, what doesn't? So just hear me out. Apparently, the ingredients Bartleby has been having me collect are meant to brew ambrosia. I mean the real ambrosia, not the weird marshmallow fruit salad thing. The stuff that Hercules drank to make him a god, like Zeus and Athena and Persephone at the dinner table, that ambrosia. And I have them, Annie. I have all of them. 
I've been collecting the ingredients along the way, the mushrooms and the herbs and the fairy fruit, they all come together in ambrosia. But the thing is, you can't just boil up some tea with mugwort and sex fruit and ta-da, immortality. According to legend, it has to be made in a special vessel. And isn't that what Linnea told you to get? That vessel is the shell. I think your sea captain was trying to become immortal, but Linnea was stopping him and, like, thank goodness, but Annie, he's obviously back, and he's trying again. You have to be strong, Annie. Don't let him in. Don't let him have it. We're coming. Adventures can be found on patreon.com slash spokelore and on Instagram at spokelorepodcast. Any resemblance to persons or cryptids, living or dead, is entirely coincidental. Lately I've been put in the crying cryptid, wishing I could melt into swans. Lady red eyes can't see beauty standards, and stealing someone's skin would hide all my flaws. Maybe I can't be a supermodel skinny kind of 